Chapter 13 of Look to the Stars. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Look to the Stars by Willard E. Hawkins. Chapter 13. Marlin regretted afterward that he had not attempted to offer Norma some antidote for her moody thoughts on her visit to his observation point. He might have tried to put in words his own fatalistic point of view. Passably, it would have helped to sustain her, if only he had been less preoccupied. But it was useless to regret when they found the girl stretched out on her sleeping pallet with eyes rigidly staring upward. They gathered in silence around the inert form. Death had been their constant companion from the start, but this was the first time it had shown its grim face. Mo Barstow began a low wailing. Sally also wept. McGregor moistened his lips and looked furtively around, cowering slightly as he saw the eerie futures of Link peering from the shadows above. Duchesne stood stricken but expressionless, peril alone of those who looked down at the steel face, was seemingly unmoved. I see her poking around in the medicine cabinet, MacGruder recalled. She must have swallowed some kind of dope. They searched through the cabinet, but there was no clue as to what the girl had taken. Several battles contained drugs which could have caused death. I would have been given a decent burial, MacGruder commented. No move was made at the time to carry out his suggestion. The only burial possible was through the locks provided for eliminating waste products. The thought was abhorrent. She talked kind of wild about ending it all gulped Sally, said she could almost hate me for being the one to save her for this. Gosh, I even came back at her with a wisecrack, something about its being a good idea, to end it all, I mean. Duchesne spoke for the first time. Moody sort of kid, he commented hesitantly, didn't seem to have a real interest in life. You tried hard enough to give her one, Sally retorted with pent-up bitterness. Too bad she wouldn't tumble. Duchesne opened his lips as if to reply, swallowed, then, with a lingering glance at the dead girl, turned away. Eli was not among the silent group. No one bothered to tell him that his passenger list had been reduced by one. The event seemed to do something to the morale of the survivors, something beyond producing the inevitable shack that follows in the wake of death. Marlin felt it keenly, until now, though he had imagined himself to be impersonal and philosophical about the whole matter, he had been sustained by a feeling that they were being carried on this strange journey for a purpose. There had been Pearl's predictions 
and their apparent realization, the uncanny fortuitousness of natural forces which had preserved them thus far. It had seemed to presage intention of some kind, suggesting that they bore charmed lives. Now, it seemed, the charm was not inviolate. They were no longer the favorites of some mysterious destiny. One had been snuffed out. The others could be. There was no purpose back of it, none, at any rate, which concerned them. As Norma had said, they were like insects cocked up in the mud ball. It was merely by chance that any had survived thus far. The question of what to do with the dead girl's body was settled by the decision to cremate it. The waste incinerator was electrically heated and connected with a lock, originally intended to open into space through which ashes and solid residue could be forced into the clay outer coating. Though Ma Barstow protested and wailed, she had no counter-suggestion to offer. Duchesne held aloof from the discussion, but when Marlin called on McGrew to pick up one end of the blanket-swathed figure, Duchesne thrust himself between them and gathered the body in his arms. I'll take care of this, he said gruffly. A sense of bleak desolation swept over Marlin as he watched the other man, with his somber burden, slowly ascend the ramp toward the blackened door of the incinerator. At this moment, the blow struck. The concussion was so terrific that it sent Marlin sprawling the full length of the ramp. He brought up against a hard surface, dazed and gasping and lay inert for a period that might have been minutes, vaguely aware of the darkness, of shrieks, and the crash of failing bodies. Painfully, at length, he picked himself up, as the sphere continued to have and vibrate from the impact. Someone fell against him. Clutching arms caught at him, and a voice, Sally's, sobbed convulsively in his ears. He disengaged the clinging arms. Cut it out, he said gruffly. We're still alive. I don't know why. Let's see if we can find any lights. Half dragging the girl after him, he made his way to the storeroom. He remembered a drawer containing flashlights. Several were broken, but he located a couple in working order. Above the general clamor, the howls of someone apparently in agony rose with monotonous regularity. With the aid of the flashlights, he stumbled toward the sound, Sally following. Overhead, the girders groaned and clanked with metallic reverberations. Several of them must have been fractured. By the feeble radiance of the torches, he located the source of the agonized howls. Above the level of the observation scaffold, now a mass of tumbled wreckage, the gummy substance of the outer coating was issuing inexorably through a wrench in the shell. Trapped in the deluge was slinky link.
his face distorted with animal-like terror, one free arm pawing helplessly at the engulfing tide. Marlin hastily sought a way of reaching him, but before he could savage a ladder, the demented creature was beyond help. His howls abruptly ended in a gurgle as the eruption relentlessly closed over him. Sally was suddenly very sick. McGrew and then Duchesne stumbled toward the light. What what happened? came the befuddled question. We were struck, of course. Help me get Sally back to her bank. The staff swallowed up blank. Where are the others? They found Pearl sitting in a corner with Moss head in her lap. She was gently smoothing the older woman's brow, which bore an ugly welt. Maul was groaning, but apparently more in fright than pain. Marlin swept his flashlight over them, decided they were in need of no immediate attention. Let's see whether we can restore the lights. In the control room, they came upon Eli's body wedged between two banks of coils, his head twisted in a ghastly fashion. He must have died instantly, his neck broken by the concussion. Tentative efforts to restore electrical current were without avail. They located a few more undamaged flashlights and inspected the vessel. The first assumption had been that the dent knocked in their hull by impact with the asteroid occurred at the point where Link had been overtaken by the flood. It became apparent, however, that the blow had struck on the opposite side of the vessel. Where a much greater inundation had occurred, was in fact still in process of spreading over the interior surface like a great blister. Link must have been flung against the hull from the girders on which he was roosting. His body broke through the weakened shell, and once the ooze had him, it closed over him with implacable greed. The utter hopelessness of their position weighed on the three men like a pole. Any lingering faith that they were protected by a special providence was shattered. Already, three of their number had proved that death could strike as aimlessly and without warning in the space vessel as elsewhere. The ooze was working in through innumerable cracks in the rotten shell, from serving as their protection against the cold of outer space and the burning heat of the sun's rays. The covering had assumed the guise of a soulless monster, spreading its ravening tentacles to smother and devour them. Duchesne's memory of the concussion was vague. The dead girl's body rested from his arms, must have hurtled against the shell, breaking through and being swallowed up in the same manner as Link's. Probably better that way, he observed gruffly. More like a human burial, wonder if any of that hooch escaped. There had been an unwritten law that the small stack of liquor among the stores should be preserved for emergencies. 
surreptitious violations there might have been, particularly by Mo Barstow, but no open drinking. Marlin shrugged. I guess we all feel pretty shaky and exhausted, he acknowledged. The battled items in the larder had been packed to withstand shacks. While there was some breakage, most of the liquor had survived. The three downed a couple of rounds in gloomy silence. Then, with scarcely a word, they stumbled to their bunks. End of chapter 13